beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Hey, good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us online. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning. It's kind of a beautiful day outside, isn't it? It's weather's turning a little bit. Um, supposed to be warm next week, like 40-something. So uh, had somebody ask, tell us today about a pond in Heritage Park that we could take the boys to go ice skating. There's one problem with that. Friday night, or Thursday night, they decided they wanted to watch a movie, so they watched the movie Breakthrough. Has anybody seen that? Yeah, they're not skating on a pond for a while. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. But um, definitely not next week. Hey, will you uh, stand with me as we look at our verses in John 3? We're going to look at the first eight verses in John 3 today. This is this great story of this encounter between Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and Jesus. So follow along with me or, or up on the screen or in your Bible. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We, we just feel so blessed by John's recording of the life of your son and the depth he goes into and the way he reveals your son, Jesus, to us. And so God, I just ask that you help us see today as we look at these verses that Jesus is the only true source of life, that there's no life in anything else. And so we ask you to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. Let us hear you and let that hearing do a work in us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So I have a question for you today. Did any of you have a rational list as a parent? What I mean by that is the parent who always wanted to know why when you did something stupid. Or maybe, maybe you are that type of parent right now today, right? But I remember times as a kid when I would do something, and, and I would do some really stupid stuff. Um, it happened a lot. And I'd do something stupid, and it usually led to me getting hurt somehow. And, and so I am standing before you living proof of the adage that stupid hurts. I have a catalog of stupidity on my body in the form of scars. 
And, and so I would do something stupid, and I'd be standing there in front of my dad, usually bleeding and crying, and my dad would say, why did you do that? Any other parents use that on your kids? You know what my answer almost always was? Say it with me. I don't know. That's always the answer to our, why did you do something stupid? I don't know. And then I'd get the lecture from my dad on the importance of, of thinking about consequences before we did things and looking at what could happen. And, and my dad was, as a rationalist, he could give a very sound and reasonable argument about thinking before you act and about considering the consequences of things before you did them. These were good lectures. And if he were trying to win an argument or prove a point, he would have won. But the problem is it was pretty much useless for me. Because when you're dealing with a child who's an adventure seeker and a thrill seeker and, and constantly pressing the limits of things, it doesn't really change much to help them think about consequences, right? So I would endure the lecture and then I'd immediately move on to the next painful, stupid adventure I was gonna engage in. And so his lectures never changed my behavior. You know why his lectures never changed my behavior? Because his lectures were always aimed at the wrong thing. His lectures were always aimed at my actions, not the source of my actions. Because the source of my actions was always, well, that would be fun. And that was always the source. And so to tell me that I need to think about consequences in the face of what could be fun, the last thing I'm thinking about is consequences when I'm faced with fun. And so it never changed anything. And I think that's true of all of us as parents, honestly. I think we try to get our kids to change their behavior by talking about the behavior and the actions, but not really going to the source. And so we expect our kids' behavior to be changed by us dealing with the what of their behavior and never addressing the why of it. And so truth be told, I think we tend to deal with our kids that way because we tend to deal with ourselves that way. We, we think that what we need is to just act wisely and be smart and, and just, well, just go be good. When in actuality, what we need is a new source of our actions. Because when I have the same old source, my actions are never gonna be just good. They're gonna continue to be, in my case, relatively stupid choices. We need a new and different source of our thoughts and our words and our actions. I think Jesus speaks to this on a few occasions. One of them is in Matthew 5, 11. Listen to this in verse 11. It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. And then he addresses this kind of again in another way in Luke 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. You see why my dad's lectures didn't change anything? Because what was in my heart was a desire to explore and experience and have fun. What wasn't in my heart was a desire to consider how this fun could hurt me. And it carried over, not just through my childhood, but like into early adulthood too. 
Do you remember when Jesus was talking about the good tree and the good fruit? Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Again, he's speaking to the source. Where is it coming from? See, here's what Jesus knew that my dad didn't know. Jesus knew that our issue is not our actions, but our source. Jesus knew that what you do isn't the problem, but where it comes from is the problem. And in essence, we need a new source. The old source is not working. We need a new source. And I think that's the very point of these verses in John 3 that we read today. When, John, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's introducing him to this idea of, hey, you need a new source. How you're acting isn't the issue. It's the source that it's coming from. So look at verse 3. Let's look at this verse again that we just read. Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those two words have been spoken by all of us at some point, haven't they? We've built our whole church lives around it. Some churches you go in and that's the first question they ask you, are you born again? Have you been born again? Somebody standing on the street handing out tracts. Have you been born again? You haven't? Oh, well, read this. You need this. You need Jesus. And the problem is that it goes way deeper than that. This, this phrase, born again, in the Greek actually says to be born from above. And so to be born from above is to have a source of life an origination point and a fountain of life that keeps us going. That's what born means. When I am born, I've now got this source of life that keeps me going and living. And so the question that I see Jesus putting before Nicodemus with this statement is this, what are you living out of? Nicodemus, what are you living out of? And he instantly can see the answer to that. You're living out of your own flesh, your own strength. So Nicodemus, guess what? You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. The source of your life needs to come upon you from heaven and from God, not from within you in your heart. So back to my dad. My dad saw that the way I was living was closer to a source of my death than a source of my life. And so he tried to get me to stop doing stupid things like climbing up doorways and falling and cracking my chin open on the kitchen floor or diving over things in the driveway and busting my head on concrete, doing tricks on a dirt bike and having the handlebar go into the back of my calf. And all this was before I was like 13. <laughs> but he, what he didn't see is the source of this was the issue. And so here's the thing we need to understand about Nicodemus as a Pharisee. Not just a Pharisee, but one of the chief Pharisees. To be a Pharisee meant that from all outward appearances, he was righteous, and he was pursuing holiness, and he was chasing godliness. He was one of the ones that if you wanted to learn how to live godly, you would go to and say, tell me how to live godly. This is the type of guy that Jesus tells, unless you, Nicodemus, are born again, you, Nicodemus, cannot see the kingdom of God. By all standards, if we knew a Nicodemus, we would look at him and say, that's what I want my life to look like. I want to be holy. 
I want to be righteous. I want to follow the rules. I want to follow the laws. And then here's this carpenter from Nazareth who tells Nicodemus, who is the teacher of Israel, not a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel, you got it all wrong. Why? Why would Jesus look at this person and go, you've got it all wrong? Because he has the wrong source. His source of life is himself, his flesh. He's building his spiritual life around his actions and his behaviors, not his heart. He's trying to get good fruit from a bad tree and it'll never work. Now, why is Nicodemus a bad tree if he's desiring these things? Because guess what? There is none who is good, not one. So we all start from a place of having a bad source. We start from a place of being a bad tree. It's got to be changed for us to see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see that he came as the Messiah to be the only true source of life. If you're going to have life from anything other than Jesus, you're not going to have life. Look at verse 2. Nicodemus looks at Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what does that tell us? Nicodemus sees Jesus as a teacher, he acknowledges that he came from God and that he's able to do signs because he's with God. But what he doesn't see is Jesus is God. He simply says he's a teacher and he's from God and he's with God. What he missed is that Jesus is God. And so Jesus as God in the flesh has the power to become the very source of life for Nicodemus. But Nicodemus missed it. Listen to this in verse 6. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Now we need to explore what Jesus meant by flesh and what he meant by spirit in order to understand his invitation to let him be the source of our life. And so the Greek word here for flesh is the word sarx, S-A-R-X. It doesn't just mean flesh. It doesn't mean body. It doesn't mean an arm or a leg or skin. The simplest definition of this word is human nature. It's that which is merely of human origin or human empowerment. Do you see what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here? You're trying to live out of your human nature, of your human origin, of your human empowerment. You got a bad source. That word sarks speaks to the flesh as a source, not something we have. And so really the question to Nicodemus is, where are you getting your power to live so righteously, Nicodemus? Where you, where's this power coming from for you to live so obedient? Is it coming from yourself? Is it coming from your human strength? And then Jesus pushes the issue even further, the issue of the source even further, when he says this, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the Spirit he's referring to is the Holy Spirit, being born of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for Spirit is that word pneuma, and it can mean the Holy Spirit, or it can mean the Spirit of a person, depending on the context. 
So when Jesus puts in that little article, the, he's clearly saying, I'm talking about life from the Holy Spirit, which becomes a life in you that is a spiritual life. It's born of the Holy Spirit. What's born of the Holy Spirit is spirit. Jesus then is saying that the source of your life in your spirit or your soul is actually the Holy Spirit. If you have a spiritual life, its source is the Holy Spirit. Do you see how he's addressing the source of how you live? He sets those two things against each other. Are you living by the power of your human flesh, of your human nature, of your human strength? Or are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit, having been born again of the Holy Spirit? So to be born again, or more accurately, born from above, means to have the source of my motivation move from my flesh, my human desires, human power, and move to the motivation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes my motivation and my empowerment. How do I do what I do? I do it by the power of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. And so in short, the question for every moment of my life should simply be, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? Is my why my human nature? Is my why my human strength, my human empowerment? Is my why to protect and build this self, this ego, that I want to be seen certain ways? Or is my why the Holy Spirit? Is my why, my source, coming from a place originating from above? God's life in me. Is my why coming from being born again? Or is it simply coming from trying to make much of myself? And so here's what that looks like. We get to verse 8. It tells us what that life that's born of the Spirit looks like. It says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's coming from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Our lives become slightly unmanageable, unpredictable when we're born of the Spirit. It's like the wind. It's invisible in its presence, but impactful in its movement. I can't see the wind, but I know when it moves because I see things change as a result of encountering the wind. And so our power of life in this world becomes sort of invisible to the world. I don't know where it's coming from, but it has an impact on everything. There's an impact on everything when our life becomes spirit. It's unpredictable. It's somewhat unmanageable in human terms. And so I want to give you a picture of a sailboat here. Does anybody sail? Any sailors in the room? All right, Doug, find me in the summer to take me sailing. Um, I love sailing. Sailed since I was a kid. I, I, I know a little bit about it. My brother-in-law was an avid sailor. I used to crew for him in regattas and races and, and had a blast with it. So I am expecting an invitation this summer to, to, to go sailing. Um, but it's interesting that Jesus uses the wind as an example of the spirit life being born in us. And it gives us a picture of what living in the spirit looks like when we look at the wind. And I think it looks a lot like going sailing. I don't bring the power, I just bring the sail. 
Those of us who sail know that when we show up, the day is determined by the wind, not by us. The sail harnesses the power and it drives the boat with that power, but the sail is not the power. If you're going to live the life born of the Spirit, you need a really good sail, not a good motor. We spend too much time in our flesh trying to build a better motor. How do I increase my capacity and my energy and go harder and drive further and do and do and do and do and do? When the reality is all I need is to make sure my sail doesn't have holes in it. Spend too much time focusing on what's driving us instead of being driven by the wind, by the Spirit. And so there's a couple things you need to know about sailing if you don't sail. And apparently, Doug, you and I are the only ones in the room that sail. So the lake will not be crowded this summer. But there's a couple things you need to understand about sailing in order to get a picture of the life born of the Spirit. Sailing is more like dancing than driving. You get in your car, you drive it. Sailing is like dancing. What is the rhythm of the wind? What's the water doing? How do I partner with this? I'm not going to try to go where it doesn't want me to go. You have to feel where it's going. And then you partner with it to get where you want to go. Good sailors are not those who know how to control the wind because nobody can control the wind. Frustrated sailors are the ones who try to control the wind. Good sailors learn to partner with it. They learn to see it, understand where it's at. A good sailor can look out on the water and go, there's this wind shadow there, that's where we gotta get. We gotta get to that spot and pick this up. And so there's two terms you need to understand for sailing in, in simple terms, lured and windward. So, so for simplicity's sake, lured is when I'm moving in the direction that the wind is blowing. It's going with the wind. Windward is going against the wind. It's going into the wind. And so people born of the Spirit, we learn to sail into the wind and with the wind at times. But too often we think when the wind is in our face, somehow we're not living out of the Spirit right now. And that's just not reality. I think that given the fact that Jesus uses the wind as an example of the life of the Spirit, we need to understand this. That sometimes the wind's at my back. Sometimes it's in my face. The life born of the Spirit learns to dance with the Spirit, whether facing a gale or being driven by it. Personally, I think we've lost this, les this lesson in the postmodern church, in the, particularly in the Western church. I think we have decided that when we feel the wind pushing against us, so to speak, that it's because I'm not getting what I want or it's not comfortable, then it must not be the Spirit. Because why would the Spirit of God stand against me when I, when I want what I want? But the reality is, that's the wrong motivation. To think that way is to say I'm trying to build something. And oh, by the way, God, I'm obligating you to participate with me in what I'm trying to build for me. That's not the source of life from the Spirit. That's the source of life from the flesh. And that's what happens when we go back to the flesh, when we go back to the human nature and the human origins of life, when the wind blows stiffly in our face. This is what happened to Nicodemus. That's how he was living his entire life. I look throughout the Gospel of John and I see the Pharisees are joyless. You know why? 
because they were trying to build something in their own strength and they couldn't do it. I don't think they were bad people. I don't think they were mean and ugly. I think they were frustrated. Could you imagine having to live a life that you thought had to be lived a certain way that could never be lived that, lived that way? How long would it take you to become bitter, resentful, angry? That's how Nicodemus lived his entire life. It's how all the Pharisees lived their life. By relying on their own power and strength and them, their flesh to make themselves holy. Think about that. Here's your task. Go make yourself holy. It's impossible. See, the Holy Spirit wasn't the beginning point for life of the Pharisees. The law of Moses was. That's why Jesus is trying to show Nicodemus here, hey, you need another starting point. You need another source. You got to start with being born again, with being born from above, being born of the Spirit. And oh, by the way, you've got a life history of frustration to help you see that the way you're doing it doesn't work. When you try to be born of the law, it's not going to happen. So be born of the Spirit or you're never going to see the kingdom. Paul sees the same thing. He sees the same things happening in the church in Galatia. He sees them beginning to live this Pharisaic lifestyle. Listen to this in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you see Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in these writings of Paul? Nicodemus was trying to perfect himself by the flesh. He thought he'd received God from the works of the law, the law of Moses. A Pharisee was an expert in the law of Moses. And Jesus said, no, you need the Spirit. That's what Paul is laying out here to these people in Galatia. Why would you go back to the law when you had the Spirit? Do you really think the Spirit that began in you, that's perfecting you, is going to be perfected by your works now? I don't think so. And so Jesus is inviting Nicodemus in John 3 to receive the Spirit instead of trying to perfect himself by the flesh. And guess what word Paul used for the flesh in Galatians 3 here? Sarks. Same word Jesus used in John 3. Paul's saying, hey, do you really think you're going to perfect yourself with your human strength, your human empowerment, the, with your human origins being the source of this change? And then in Galatians 3.3, 3, there's important words, having begun by the Spirit. Paul knows that the Galatians have already been born again. They've already been born from above. The source of their life, the moment of being born from above was from God the Spirit, not for, from them. And yet, now they are going back to the flesh, to the sarks, to live it out. It's not going to work. It'll never work. How many of us have done the same thing? We praise God. <laughs> We've been born again. We've been born from above. We have the life of the Spirit in us. And then we immediately get down on our hands and knees and start hammering and pounding and working really hard. Because I want to be a better person. We're doing exactly what the Galatians were doing in, in, in chapter 3. Having begun by the Spirit, we start to try to perfect ourselves by the flesh. 
That's frustrating. It doesn't get anywhere. It wears us down and wears us out. If that source is the Spirit, then we let that Spirit move like the wind. And if I am not today what I think I should be, then I need to say, Lord, you're okay with me as I am today. But I'm not going to give up when you invite me into being who you want me to be. I'm going to desire that. I'm going to seek that. But the motivation to become that will be born of your spirit, not my work. Because here's what happens. When I transform myself by works, you know what it becomes? Pride. That's all I got. Look how great I am. I've done all these things. I behave so nicely. I don't scream at people like I used to. I don't get angry like I used to. Or whatever it may be. And we wouldn't say it out loud, but in our darkest, quietest moments, we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, you are a good person. Look at all you've done. That's where the flesh leads us. But when we're born of the Spirit, we get to look ourselves in the mirror and go, what I am and what I am not is irrelevant to me because I am what you want me to be right now. And that's enough. Do you see how that's peace in life? To be working in the flesh is no peace. To be able to stand in the Spirit of God and say, you are doing with me what you will and I am okay with it is the only way to find peace. Now there's one more verse in John 3 that we need to address. It's John 3.16. And we need to look at this verse for two reasons. First reason is this. I know that all of you had to memorize it as kids when you had your flannel board Jesus and you had to say it every Sunday in Sunday school to get a piece of candy. And I don't want to waste all the effort from your childhood. So, we're going to look at it because of that. The second thing is it tells us exactly how to get this life born of the Spirit. So, everybody say John 3.16 with me. Bonus points if you can cover your eyes and not read the screen. This is one of those verses, by the way, that we all memorize so well we can mumble it at any time. We're not going to mumble it this morning. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Good job. I don't have Jolly Ranchers to give you, but um, we'll give you cookies and coffee afterwards in the chapel for your memorization skills. This is critical to understand if we're going to have that life born of the Spirit. Because what John is saying here is this life born of the Spirit is found in Jesus. He is the means by which this new birth becomes a reality for anyone. And there's two words in this verse that I think you have to understand if you want your life to be born from above. If you want a life empowered by the Spirit instead of the power of humanity, your own human power. Those two words are believe and in. The Greek word for believe is the word pistuo. It doesn't simply mean to agree with something. It actually means to have faith in, to trust. And I believe that word gives us a simple definition that we all need to understand, and it's this. Faith is acting as if what you claim to believe is actually true. 
that's what faith is. If I claim to believe something and never act as if it's true, it's not faith. It's simply a belief in my head. This Greek word for believe here is all about how am I acting on this belief? Not do I believe, not can I agree, but how's that agreement showing up in my life as I live? Because here's why that matters. My actions are always going to be based on the reality of my beliefs. I will always act based on what I believe. Faith is acting as if what I profess to believe is actually true. And so now we take this belief and this acting as if what I say is true is actually true and we combine it with this word in here. It's the Greek word eis, E-I-S. And here's what it means. This is a fun little word. It literally means motion into. Huh. Well, that's novel. Apparently, John is inviting me to move in my belief, acting as if what I profess to believe is true, deeper into Christ. Motion into. It implies moving into with a particular purpose or result. So if I believe in Him and my life not moving into Him, I need to ask myself if I believe. If my belief simply allows me to stand in a place of other believers and say, yes, I affirm the deity of Jesus and it doesn't move me into Jesus, I need to address my belief. Because that may not be the type of belief that John's talking about here. True belief is acting as if what I say is true is actually true. And so when Jesus comes along and says, do not be anxious about anything, and I think, well, it's just human to be anxious. Am I believing in him? But if I say, wait, I have anxiety, Jesus, and you said not to be anxious about anything, and here I stand anxious, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to bring into me so that my life born from above will be the kind of life that I don't get anxious in? That's what it means to be in Him. That sounds a lot like growing in Christ intentionally, doesn't it? Moving into Him. That's one of the three legs of our purpose here. Love God passionately. Serve neighbors generously. Grow in Christ intentionally. And so I want to come back to the question my dad always asked when I would do stupid things. Why? What's your why? What's your source? If I asked you today, why do you do what you do? Why do you live how you live? Would you be able to say, because I have been born above by the Spirit and I am Spirit? Or would you have to say, well, I've been born above by the Spirit, but I tend to live into the flesh a little bit. Do you find most of your day spent living out of the source of the sarks, that flesh? Just human concerns and worries? Does your power come mostly from human origins? Or do you see the why of your life coming from the Spirit? God, the Holy Spirit, bringing that why into you. Are you finding ways to move your why from the sarks into the pneuma? 
from simply concerns and desires born of the flesh to motivations that are actually born of the Spirit. If we're going to grow in Christ intentionally, we must become people who purposefully examine our motivations and shift them from being born of the flesh to born of the Spirit. The way we do that is to simply ask ourselves, why? Why is this anger here? Why is this frustration here? Why is this anxiety here? Where is that coming from? And I find that there's one particular practice that helps me move more and more intentionally into Christ in my everyday life. It's a simple practice. It's called breath prayer. And it demands absolutely nothing from you that you aren't already doing. Anybody breathe today? Really? (laughs) This takes something that we do every day, all day, and moves the why of it from sustaining my life in the flesh to refreshing my soul. And here's a, it's a simple little practice. I want you to look at it and feel free to take a picture of it. We're going to put it on the screen. And uh, we'll also put it on Facebook and Instagram later on today. But this particular breath prayer is based on Psalm 107, uh, verses 1 and 9. It can be any scriptural truth. You can use any scriptural truth as your breath prayer. A lot of times, the one I pray throughout my day is simply, as I inhale, I I just, in my mind, Jesus, Son of God, and as I exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. But here's what a breath prayer does. It takes my breathing that is very natural and has to occur and places it in the presence of the Spirit in my mind. (laughs) And so that's one of those simple things that shifts us from the sarks to the pneuma in everyday life. Now I have to tell you at this point that this life in the Spirit is a process. It doesn't happen instantly. We don't simply go, I'm born again, and now everything is motivated by the Spirit. Sometimes the wind's moving me forward, and sometimes it's pushing me back. But both of those movements are graces from God. It's imperative that we understand how this uh, life born of the Spirit grows in us. Just as it's critical to understand how we grow physically and mature. So we have a resource from some friends of ours, Bill and Christy Galtier. It's a book called Journey of the Soul. And Bill and Christy will actually be here at Temple in April to walk us through a Friday night and Saturday of this idea of what does it look like to be intentional about growing in Christ based on how God designed us. And so we have copies of their book. They're available. I'd love for some of you to get it and read it before they come in April, just to have an idea of who they are and, and, and what they do. But um, there's some available to purchase out here, and, and, and they will be for the next few weeks. I'd really encourage you to, to pick one up and, and give it a read. It's a great way to begin to understand just how the wind, the Spirit, moves us and shapes us in this life that's born from above. You know, one of the things we do to remember that we're born from above, that this life isn't sourced by the flesh, is is we take communion. We're going to enter in a time of communion now. It's a time to remember that Jesus gave His life so that we can actually have His life, so that He can be the source of our life. And so I want, I want us to read John 3.16 one more time as we get ready for communion. 
Can you put that slide back up of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I want to invite you as we remember that sacrifice that Jesus made for us to have that life, this life he's talking about in John 3, this life of the Spirit born from above. I want to invite you to practice that idea of a breath prayer. Just simply sit in this space and allow yourself to inhale Jesus and to exhale truth. And just let that spirit life flow over you. And you can feel free to take the bread and the juice anytime you're ready. After a few moments, I'll pray for us. I want to invite you to take the most basic thing of life, your breath, and move it from Sarks to Numa. His life is this bread that we have taken to remember his sacrifice for us and his life is this juice that we've taken to remember his cleansing of us. And Lord, we just ask that this act of communion feeds this spiritual life, this soul that is born of you, that's born of you, God, the Holy Spirit. And let us always stand in that truth, that reality, that you bring a life into us that we cannot have apart from you. And help us this week to examine our why. Are we living out of being born of the flesh or are we living out of being born of the Spirit? But God, let this moment of communion be a time of remembering as we go into our week what the reality is. And the reality is that because of your Son, we're born of the Spirit. And so walk with us in that. Free us to live in that. And let this moment be a constant reminder that we don't have to live by the flesh, God because your spirit is upon us and in us and the source of all that we are and that we do. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.